0: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: We are sending an armada, very powerful. He, quote, realized it's not so easy. I mean, you never know, do you? You never know. Is that? I, 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 we have
2: submarines, very powerful. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast the show about Donald Trump, the president who gives campaign speeches at an Easter egg hunt. I'm Jamal Bowie, Slate's chief political correspondent and your host for today's show. This past Tuesday saw a special election in Georgia's 6th congressional district, with Democrat John Ossoff facing off against a phalanx of Republican candidates in a so-called jungle primary, all vying to either win outright or make the runoff election in June. A solid red district the Georgia 6th gave Republican Tom Price— now the Secretary of Health and Human Services, nearly 62% of the vote in November. On a presidential level, Mitt Romney won by a similar margin against Barack Obama in 2012. But Donald Trump barely squeaked by, making the district a prime target for Democrats. Ossoff collected millions in donations and amassed an army of grassroots volunteers. But while he won the lion's share of votes, 48% to just under 20% for his nearest competitor, Republican Karen Handel, He didn't escape the runoff. He'll vie again for the seat in June against Handel, in a race where neither candidate has a clear advantage. One way to read this is that Democrats have failed, that for all the base anger and mobilization, there's not enough energy or organization to capture Republican districts and deal an actual electoral blow to Donald Trump. But that's wrong. Asaf, a young and inexperienced candidate, forced Republicans to spend millions on a race they still might lose in a district considered safe. This after a similar near upset in Kansas and competitive races in South Carolina and Montana. Thanks to President Trump, the ground is shifting under Republicans. The only question is if the Democrats can take advantage of this new terrain. We're going to tackle all of this with our guest, Stacey Abrams, minority leader in the Georgia House of Representatives. But first, some tweets.
1: North Korea is looking for trouble. If China decides to help, that would be great. If not, we will solve the problem without them. USA. Things will work out fine between the USA and Russia. At the right time, everyone will come to their senses and there will be lasting peace. Why would I call China a currency manipulator when they're working with us on the North Korean problem? We will see what happens. Someone should look into who paid for the small organized rallies yesterday. The election is over. The fake media, not the real media has gotten even worse since the election. Every story is badly slanted. We have to hold them to the truth.
2: Our guest today to talk about the special election in Georgia is Stacey Abrams, Minority Leader in the Georgia House of Representatives, Hi, Stacy. Welcome to TrumpCast.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: So, I want to ask first. Uh, I assume you were on the ground in the Georgia sixth.
0: I was absolutely. <laughs> um,
2: and how were things? How, how did things look yesterday? How did the lead up to the voting look? What was sort of the, the mood on the ground? Were people enthusiastic uh, to vote for um, John Ossoff? I think I'm saying his last name correctly. What? Just say a little bit about what was going on on the ground.
0: I think to put it in context, when the special election was called, there was very little thought that this would be a hyper-competitive race. Uh, The communities in this district are traditionally Republican, are very wealthy communities by and large, but are certainly never thought of as fertile Democratic ground. And by contrast, if you were driving around yesterday, uh, there were volunteers flooding the district. Uh, wearing John's blue t-shirts, knocking on doors uh, in places where I have never seen Democratic uh, enthusiasm before. And certainly heading into last night, there was a strong sense that more than the the punditry saying that this could happen or could not happen, there was a very real sense that winning outright was a possibility. And no one thought that was on the radar uh, four months ago.
2: So last time last I checked, um Asif fell about a little less than two points short of winning outright. Do you do you think there there is more that could have been done? Uh more resources, more, you know, more people on the ground, or is that sort of is does that just reflect the fact that this is a very Republican district?
0: I I think this is a sui generis election in that it's a special election in a community where Democrats have not been competitive. In a generation. And so figuring out how to win that community, how to win that district required alchemy. Uh, To the extent it's possible to actually perform alchemy, I think John did it. Uh, (laughs) It it was a combination of field and media. And and so I think he did all of the things you're supposed to do. Certainly, the intensity can always be ratcheted up. You can talk to more people And I think that's not only true in the general election in a presidential year, but it becomes even more pronounced in a midterm year and now in a special election in April in an off year. That result, I think, was an extraordinary result. If I were in charge of the campaign going forward, I think you do exactly what you did before and you go to places more times than you did before. Uh, but I think it's also important to put into context that this is an election that happened over a four-month period, not an election that happened over a year-long period.
2: Right. And so presumably, since the runoff election is in June, there's still a lot to happen here. There's still a lot to do. Um, nothing is really set in stone.
0: A- absolutely. I, I think one of the pockets of opportunity for John is what we call the Buford-Highway Corridor. Uh, That's one of the places that is very distinct from the rest of uh, that district. It's a largely immigrant community. It has a very heavy Latino and Asian uh, American population. And it's a place that has been traditionally left out of all political conversations. Uh, It's the Chambly area, the Dorville area. You have a lot of refugee population resettlement. I think that's a place where if he can unlock the potential of that community, that is also uh, a turnout opportunity in the special election runoff that can really tip the balance.
2: So to zoom out a little bit, I know that you have been doing a lot of work on the ground in Georgia to make the state more competitive statewide and in districts around the state. So how does how does this special election fit in to those efforts? What, what Are there any lessons you can take from this admittedly sui generis election to, to use in the future and in other and different places in the state?
0: I think there are three lessons. One is that John spent money and time on the ground, and that was a magnified difference. In Georgia, our challenge for Democrats has been that while we talk about ground game, we usually do not have the resources or the willingness to invest heavily and early. The fact that John not only went above 40%, which was the normative Uh, point count for a Democrat in that area, but came so close to winning outright was directly a reflection of his willingness to do a strong and persistent ground game. I think the second is a reminder for Democrats that our return to power is going to be one of relentless incrementalism. Uh, We keep waiting for the moment where demography tips us into power. That's not going to happen. We only win by actually building infrastructure and reminding people who were Democrats or are Democrats but don't vote actively that it's worth the investment. And we also have to reach out to the new people who moved into the state to let them know that we exist and that they should participate. I think the third is that we have to not extrapolate too much uh, from each election and try to create a template that applies to all elections. John was running in a 75% white district with one of the highest per capita incomes in the state and the highest educational achievement in the state. That is not the state of Georgia writ large, (laughs) and it's certainly not America. And so we have to remember that the state of Georgia is actually, in terms of our uh, voter registration numbers, it's only 56% white, which means you have a a population of people of color who can be engaged, uh, but that we can't assume that because he did so well in this community that the only way to win is to only speak to people who look like uh, the 6th District of Georgia.
2: You know, so I have I have a lot of family in Georgia. My um, mother's family is from White Cross and Brunswick, and sort of there are lots of lots of people who look vaguely like me down in that part of the state. And um, one thing I'm curious about is what does it and, – and these are like, you know, pretty Republican areas of the state just because of the size of the districts and so on and so forth – so what, what I'm a bit curious about is what does that kind of outreach look like for you? What what does speaking to less engaged Black Democratic voters, Latino Democratic voters, people who don't identify with the party or don't really engage with politics, but might if, if they hear the right message, what does that look like for you?
0: I think our first responsibility is to know what our message is. Uh, Democrats have spent a great deal of time in Georgia lamenting our loss of power. We were in charge for 130 plus years. Uh, We've been out of power roughly 16 years. And for a a long time, our approach was simply to remind people who used to like us that they should like us again. We have not done, I think, the hard work of actually reintroducing ourselves and inviting people to join our party because of our values. Uh, I give our current state party a great deal of credit for their willingness to, to do that work. But if you're in Brunswick, if you're in Waycross, those populations are largely Republican because that's who votes, not because that's who lives there. And so we have to be willing to actually spend the time to go into those smaller communities, to talk to them about economic issues, but also to talk about uh, moral conversations. That doesn't necessarily mean Christian conversations, but it does mean anchoring our economic and policy messages and the moral values that we hold to be true, uh, that I think transcend race and transcend community. The other challenge is that we have to remember that not every black person in Georgia lives in Atlanta. <laughs> right. And and that means going into uh, Camden County, going down to Lowndes County, going up to Dalton, uh, going to places where we traditionally do not go, finding other communities who are not urban black voters. Uh, so it's the suburban Latino and the uh, rural Asian voter that we have to be willing to talk to. And it's also white voters who are disappointed that after 16 years of Republican leadership, they have not seen their communities advance at all. And so it's no longer possible that if this is simply the province and the, and the fault of Democrats. And so we have to be willing to have a both and conversation rather than this binary conversation we tend to have, which is, Black urban and white everywhere else.
2: Right. I mean, that sounds a lot like sort of a, a version of the conversation the National Democratic Party is having. Sort of, how do you how do you break out of the urban cores and the urban centers that you spend the most time in, and begin to reach out not just to sort of the prototypical suburban white voter, but the the real multitude of voters that exist in all kinds of different places around the country. Well, Um, as
0: minority leader, part of my job for the last seven years has been answering that. The way the maps were drawn after the 2011 redistricting, there were only 56 Democratic seats, most of which are clustered in urban centers, predominantly Black. In order to win seats, I had to run contests and recruit candidates and cultivate voters in places that were not Atlanta, Savannah, Athens, uh, Columbus, and Macon. And what that has meant is that I've traveled the state. I've been to 142 of our 159 counties. I go to county party meetings. I speak at our, you know, formerly known as Jefferson Jackson dinners. Uh, but I also helped recruit candidates who reflected the values and, and the uh, needs of the community. And that meant that you have to really take the time to understand. That if you're in Sumter County, Georgia, you have to recognize that they lost their hospital. They lost one of their hospitals a few years ago, so they're they're worried. Uh, and if you're in Hancock County, you've got to think about the fact that manufacturing has been gone for 20 years. So what do you mean when you say that you'll bring economic development? We have to embrace as Democrats the reality of our diversity. It can't simply be diversity on paper. We have to recognize that people and their communities are different and that our central premise has to be consistent, but not the policies that flow from that, that central premise.
2: So, you know, we, we are a year and some change away from um, House elections um, or elections for the U.S. House representatives, and then we have the special election in June. Sort of just for you, uh, both as a participant and an observer, kind of what are you, what are you looking for from from Democrats, from um uh, candidates, like what? What are you keeping an eye on going forward? Since things seem to be in, in a lot of flux right now, um, a lot of change, a lot of opportunities. So what? What? What is? What has both caught your eye, and what are you looking for?
0: I have been greatly heartened by the persistence and the sustained intensity of the resistance movement, and by that I mean uh, Democrats have a well-developed reputation for high moments of enthusiasm and engagement, and then we disappear, and our enthusiasm dissipates. And the fact that this has continued for 100 days since the uh, Trump inauguration has been important, what I'm looking for is whether or not the enthusiasm and investment in John Osses' campaign and the message that he carries continues for two more months. Because if it does, with the same resources or more, and with the learnings that he will have from this campaign, we can win that seat outright. I think writ large across the country, we have to be deliberate about engaging people so that we not only acknowledge the the passion and the fire that's out there, but that we harness it and convert it into an electoral power. Uh, that is the only way Democrats return to a position where we can implement the policies we believe in, where we can live our values. It is an important part of our progress that we have these extraordinary movements, the indivisible work that's being done, the flip, the seats that are happening across the country. But I will be most pleased if what I see on June 20th is an amplification of what I saw last night. And if we're having a conversation in a few weeks about how extraordinary the Montana turnout was, because Democrats don't lose because we don't exist. We lose because we don't vote. Uh, we are not simply clustered. Uh, the clustering is a problem, but it is not an insurmountable one uh, because we have deep wells of opportunity that we have never fully recognized and never fully um, engaged.
2: One last question, and this sort of relates to this question of clustering and, and so on, which is gerrymandering. And I know that the Georgia is a heavily gerrymandered, gerrymandered state. Um, I'm, i i from Virginia, also a pretty gerrymandered state, it seems like that is a major obstacle to democratic gains, regardless of the kind of improvement they make on the ground. And so for you, what do you think can be done about gerrymandering in the short term um, to sort of maybe lessen its impact or even begin to reverse it?
0: I, I think we have to think of it in stages. The immediate issue is winning more elections. Uh, Even though lines have been drawn on the congressional level and the state level and local level, part of the utility of those lines is that it fakes us out, and Democrats don't run for seats that we could run for. And so I think the first responsibility is to run for more seats. The second responsibility is to think structurally and strategically about how to push back on gerrymandering. In Georgia and Virginia, across the country, 27-2018 will be time to elect governors. Governors in most of these states have the authority to veto maps. We have to be in a position of power. Even if we can't draw the maps, we can certainly make certain that new maps aren't as egregious. And then third, I think once we have done that work, once we start winning House seats and we start winning state legislative seats and we win the governor's mansions, then we have to be as forward-thinking about fair districting as the Republicans have been about aggressive gerrymandering. And that is using the bully pulpit and using the the levers of power to actually rewrite the laws to put in place the fair redistricting rules that we think are necessary. Otherwise, Democrats run the risk of being as hypocritical as Republicans have been.
2: I've been talking to Stacey Abrams, Minority Leader in the Georgia House of Representatives. Thank you, Stacey, for joining us on Trumpcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
2: That is it for today's show. Today's Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. John D. Domenico is our voice of Donald Trump. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcast. Andy Bowers is Panoply's chief content officer. Jacob Weisberg is the brains behind this operation. And before I go, Trumpcast is going to be at the Tribeca Film Festival on April 30th in Manhattan. Come watch and listen to me, Jacob, and Virginia Heffernan have a frank conversation on the first 100 days with the Trump administration. Tickets are on sale now, and Slate Plus members get a 25% discount. You should come see us. Just go to slate.com live. I'm Jamal Bowie. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.
1: This Thursday at the Kenosha, Wisconsin... Convention Center. Come see my never-ending victory tour. It's going to be tremendous. We're going to have a great time. We're going to go over all the amazing accomplishments I've done in these soon-to-be 100 days. Once again, election over. Come see the victory tour.